Welcome everyone to the Nurse Debbie podcast. My name is Lisa Rogers and I am your host and I am really excited to be with you guys today. We have some uh, exciting changes that have just happened uh, in the country after the election. Um, just to put a timestamp on this, today is, what is today? Today is November 5th and uh, so if you're listening to this in the future, we are still currently waiting on the presidential results, but we have other results on measures that were voted on in other states, and I will be going over those here with you shortly because it's really exciting, and, and um, I can't wait to go over that stuff with you guys. Uh, but first, let's get a little housekeeping out of the way. So this show is brought to you by Canucopia Consulting, and which is me. And, <laughs> and at Canucopia Consulting, you get your own personal cannabis case manager. So I provide uh, patient consultation services and as well as educational services for uh, clinicians that are um, needing additional uh, education for themselves or for their staffs about medical cannabis. You can find me at canucopia.com. It's C-A-N-U-C-O-P-I-A. So there's two different things. Well, there's a, the first part has like a lot of parts. So there's two different things that I wanted to um, get into with you guys today. First of all, uh, there were five or sorry, six different states that had different measures uh, on the ballot uh, on November 3rd. Uh, most of them regarding uh, medical cannabis or recreational cannabis. Uh, Oregon, however, had to be a little different, so we will get into their stuff here in just a minute. But I just wanted to go over all of that with you guys to kind of um, bring you up to speed if you don't know that much about it or you haven't heard uh, what each state voted on and what's going on in those states. And then the other thing that we're going to get into, um, and this was a question I recently posed on uh, Facebook and on Instagram, is about bud tenders and if bud tenders should have um, a standards and scope of practice like uh, healthcare providers do. So, and I got some interesting responses from that um, on Facebook uh, in a group that I'm in. So we'll get into all that here in just a little bit too. Uh, but there were, um, as I was saying, there were six states that had measures, and I got to pull it up here on the computer real quick so I can look at it. Um, okay, so it was Arizona, Mississippi, Montana, New Jersey, Oregon, and South Dakota. So out of those six states, only two were voting for medical programs, and that was Mississippi and uh, South Dakota. And South Dakota actually uh, took on a real challenge and jumped in uh, with both feet first. <laughs> and they also voted on recreational in addition to uh, a medical program. Then Arizona and Montana and New Jersey all already had medical programs, and they all voted on uh, recreational. And Oregon, um, which already has uh, legal cannabis, they voted on um, psilocybin, which is magic mushrooms. And so they voted on whether or not to make that legal in the state. So the exciting part is all six states passed their measures, which... I don't know necessarily that it hasn't happened before in the world of, of cannabis. Usually there's like at least one or two states that don't pass. Uh, but this time all six states passed, which um, I was very excited and happy to see. Uh, I was particularly excited about Mississippi because that's my home state. That's where I grew up. And uh, they actually passed their measure with over 70% of the vote. So um, people were very much in favor of getting that passed, despite the fact that some of their state legislators were trying to be sneaky and underhanded about it and, <laughs> and trying to keep that off of the, or trying to keep it from going through. So, um, so we will start with, hang on, let me look at my notes. Okay. So we're going to start with Mississippi since we're talking about them. Uh, their measure was called initiative 65, and the the key takeaways from this now <laughs> i said the politicians were trying to be sneaky and underhanded uh they did a petition to get um initiative 65 on the ballot i think uh, i read on their website they've tried like over 20 times before to get medical cannabis passed and um, they've never been able to get it through the state legislature. And so this time they just took it to the people, uh, got enough, um, signatures on petitions to be able to get it on the ballot. And now here we are. So once they got it on the ballot, then the, some of the politicians in the state 
uh, proposed their own uh, initiative 65A, or no, it was called Alternative 65A. That was what it was called. Um, to essentially confuse voters. I mean, that's all it was. It was a very poor uh, mimicking of um, the uh, the actual motion that was put on there and uh, it had no teeth to it. It wasn't really going to do anything and they just put it on there as a method to try and confuse voters and try to keep people from voting for the real one because I think they knew that it was going to pass. So anyway, (laughs) so anyway, but these are the key takeaways that you need to keep in mind um, as for uh, medical cannabis in the state of Mississippi now. So they did put into their language uh, a list of conditions. So there are 20 different conditions that would qualify you to be able to get a card. Um, You do have to have a medical card, so you will have to go to uh, a doctor that is willing to do the recommendation for you. Um, The conditions include PTSD, cancer, uh, glaucoma, um, and I remember reading the list and I don't remember what all was on it, but I, I know it was, there were a lot of other things on there, of course, you know, seizures and, um, anxiety and depression. And, uh, I want to say autism was on it, but I can't remember for sure. Uh, but you can look that up online and see for sure what the, um, what the list is. If you hear me clicking, I'm trying to get this stupid page to load and it won't load. Uh, so, (laughs) sorry if you hear that in the background. Um, but anyway, so they, um, so they do have a list of, uh, qualifying conditions, which is what the vast majority of states have gone with. I I believe Oklahoma were the only ones that don't have, um, qualifying conditions for you to be able to get your card. They did kind of crack the door a little bit on it though, from the language that I read that said something to the effect of, uh, if you have an illness or, or you have some, some issue that is similar to one of the conditions listed, um, in the, the 20 conditions and your doctor feels like you could benefit from medical cannabis, then you can still get a card. So it kind of cracked the door open for other people to be able to get it if they don't fit in one of those boxes, uh, which is a good thing, um. I don't know how much that's going to crack the door open, but at least it does make it more available to uh, other people. And, and they have a pretty extensive list anyway, so that's a good thing. Um, okay, so they have the 20 conditions uh, as to the amount of cannabis that you can possess. Uh, the way they wrote theirs, you can have two and a half ounces every 14 days. And I believe that said it uh, in it could only be up to like five grams of concentrate or something like that. Uh, Cause that's what I was trying to get it to pull up was the individual page. So I could actually see the details. Oh, maybe it's going to work this time. Okay. So anyway, um, <laughs> sorry guys, I'm getting like sidetracked here. Okay. I thought, or maybe I read that on their website. I don't remember now, but anyway, it's, I'm not seeing it on this particular page, but, um, anyway, so you can have no more than two and a half ounces of medical cannabis every 14 days. Uh, they are not going to allow home grow, which really sucks because that would be the cheapest method for people to be able to get their medicine. But unfortunately, as of right now, they're not going to allow home grow. Um, They have to have the program uh, up and running by August 15th of 2021. So by the middle of August of next year, they have to have everything operational and and going. So I'm going to assume that that means uh, all the structure has to be in place for dispensaries to be able to open their doors by that date. Um, So they're going to have to get their licensure uh, in place for growers, processors, business owner, you know, the storefronts, um, of course, patients to be able to get their, their cards, you know, all of that stuff is going to have to be put in place between now and, and August 15th of next year. So (laughs) I find this a little bit funny, but instead of them calling, uh, the, 
the stores where you can go buy it. We you know we call it dispensaries, and in most states, that's what they're called as dispensaries. Um, they are calling them "quote unquote" treatment centers. So, if you live in Mississippi and you hear hear somebody talking about going to a treatment center to get their cannabis, that's what they're talking about is going to a dispensary. Uh, but they are not limiting the number of dispensaries that can um, obtain a license to be in business in the state. So that is also a good thing. So um, I would fully expect all of the CBD stores to flip to being dispensaries by the time uh, this is all ready to kick off next year. Um, so let the countdown begin. So <laughs> so, uh, so that was another thing that they put in there. Um, and then their, life, their card is going to be annual. So um, if you get your card, you will have to renew your card annually. And I did see something in their text about, um, I want to say it said the card is not to cost any more than $50, I want to say. So hopefully uh, your fee to the state should not be any more than $50, if I read that correctly. And uh, But I, didn't, I haven't seen any language yet as to how much um, licenses are going to cost for... Uh, the various aspects of the industry, like if you're a grower or a processor or you just want to open a dispensary or whatever. Um, I don't think they have that in place yet. That's also going to have to be sorted out and uh, figured out as they go. So it's going to take a little while. Um, it's going to be a bumpy road to get this going like it is, you know, any new program that uh, gets up and running. Um the Mississippi State Department of Health will be uh, handling the licenses for the dispensary. So if you live in Mississippi and you are interested in uh, opening a dispensary, that would probably be the place to start is with them. I would assume right now, though, they probably, even though I'm sure they're getting inundated with phone calls, they probably don't have any information on that yet because I don't believe that has probably been sorted out just yet. Um, so that is Mississippi's program. Uh, congratulations to them. I am very, very excited for my home state that this is now going to be available for patients. Um, and it's, you know, just get ready. It's going to be a wild ride. I'm just saying right now. <laughs> okay. So South Dakota, uh, they actually had two measures. They had, um, constitutional amendment A and initiated measure 26. So, um, the Constitutional Amendment A, uh, it allows for a $250 fine if um, homegrown plants are visible, blah, 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 sorry, are visible to the public. Now, the Constitutional Amendment is for the, um, the recreational program. So that was to... Uh, legalize the recreational part the initiated measure 26 is to legalize the medical part um so with the amendment a there's a 250 dollars fine if um the uh, plants can be seen by the public um if they're not kept in a locked space or if they're being grown in a jurisdiction that has retail stores unless home grow has been authorized in that particular jurisdiction uh, it also allows for a $100 fine for public consumption. So you can't be walking around out on the street and be puffing away on your pipe or a joint or whatever it is, a pre-roll, whatever it is that you want to be using. Um, so no consuming in public. It also required uh, the state to pass separate laws um, for the medical program. So, which, you know, of course makes sense, but, you know, they, South Dakota is really taking on double duty with this because they didn't pass a medical program first and then later come back and do a recreational program once the medical program was well established. They're tackling both at the same time. So this is going to be really interesting to see how this all kind of plays out for South Dakota um, because they're going to have to get both programs up and running at the same time. <laughs> So this could be interesting. Uh, on measure 26, which is for the medical program, um, I haven't looked their uh, language up specifically to see what other um, 
conditions would be included uh, for you to be able to get your um, to get your card so that you could use uh, medical. Um, it does include uh, wasting syndrome, severe debilitating pain, severe nausea, seizures, um, or severe and persistent muscle spas- spasms, uh, including those that are characteristic for mul- multiple sclerosis. So, and then the health department can add to the list um, as they see fit. So, I'm going to assume that there's some other conditions that are included. Uh, that might be all of them since they also passed recreational. They may not have felt like they needed to have a more extensive list. Uh, but I haven't really looked at their language yet to see exactly how that's all spelled out. So, if you live in South Dakota, and you're curious, then you'll have to look into that a little more deeply to see um, if your condition is included in that, if they have a more extensive list or not. The other big thing that I really liked about theirs that they included on their uh, medical is reciprocity. So it says that non-residents can use an out-of-state registration card to purchase and possess medical cannabis while you're in South Dakota. A lot of states do not have reciprocity yet, so that is uh, really forward thinking on their part that if you are going to be visiting there um, or you're going to be there for a while, coming through temporarily, whatever, uh, you can actually, and you have a card from another state, you can use your card in that state, which is great. Um, I know we have a, if you have a card in another state, you can get a temporary card for Oklahoma so that you can purchase, but I don't believe you can use your actual card from another state. So, it, you know, so there are some different options out there in different states, but not every state is um, reciprocal as far as uh, being able to recognize your card from uh, a different state if you're going to be there for a while. Now, Arizona, theirs is called uh, Prop 207, and they have had a uh, medical program for uh, several years now. So this time they were going after recreational. Um, it allows adults to possess one ounce with... Oh, no, that's where I got the five gram from. So <laughs> it, it allows adults to possess one ounce with no more than five grams in concentrate. I knew I read that somewhere. I just couldn't remember where I read that at. Okay, so that's what Arizona is um, is allowing for... Uh, their recreational use is you can have up to an ounce um, with no more than five grams of that total ounce being in concentrate form. You have to be 21 or older. Um, you can have uh, six plants, uh, no more than 12 plants. So you can actually grow, uh, which is great because um, to be honest, I don't know if they allow grow under their medical uh, part or not, but you can grow under the recreational side and you can have up to 12 plants, which is a lot. So if you're growing your own, um, you should be pretty well set and not have to go buy anything. <laughs> um, Montana, um, theirs was called Initiative 190. Uh, they also passed recreational. Um, theirs is going to have a uh, 20% excise tax, so it's going to be taxed pretty heavily on the recreational side. Currently, their medical only has a 4% tax. Um, This part I thought was kind of dumb. I didn't think this made a lot of sense to me, but, you know, I didn't write it. Uh, But the recreational stores can't can't advertise prices or solicit business on their own website, which to me sounded kind of stupid. I don't understand the point of that, but okay, whatever. I didn't write it, so there you go. Maybe they can get that changed later. Um, But as of right now, uh, if you are a recreational store or you're going to be a recreational store, you cannot, I guess you could list the product that you have or that you normally carry, but you can't say what the prices are. Although you could use, I'm assuming, weed maps since that's not your personal website, but Anyway, so, um, and you can't solicit business on your own website, which that doesn't make any sense to me, but okay. Um, they have to have their program up and running no later than October 1st of 2021. Uh, and they are allowing home grow. You can have four mature plants and four seedlings. Um, so that's, uh, another, you know, good thing. A lot, a lot more states seem like they're starting to allow home grow. Um, New Jersey, theirs was called Question 1, and uh, they amended the state constitution to legalize rec for um, people who are 21 years uh, and older and uh, also for cultivation, processing, and sale of retail. 
One of the issues with their uh, amendment, however, is there's not really a lot of details. So that's all going to have to be worked out in the future by the Cannabis, Cannabis Regulatory Committee or the CRC um, and the state legislature. So they've got to figure out the details on allowing home grow, what the possession limits are going to be, and a lot of other basic regulations. So it passed, but there's not really a whole lot of detail that goes along with it just yet. Uh, it's also going to um, allow for the creation of an online portal that will let individuals that have uh, marijuana convictions um, or possession charges of up to five pounds to expedite the expungement of their record. And it also requires that any pending possession charges to be downgraded or dismissed. And I'm sorry if that wasn't clear earlier when I was talking about the cultivation. So it legalizes the cultivation, the processing, and the sale of retail. Uh, because, like I said, New Jersey also already has um, a medical program. So it's just expanding the overall program. So, you know, y'all are going to have a lot of people coming over from New York, apparently. Because New York has a really sad program. So, <laughs> uh, And then we come down to Oregon. So Oregon is, um, to me, a little one of the... I guess, a little more interesting uh, measures that got passed. Um, they actually had two. It was called Measure 109 and Measure 110. And Measure 109 is the Oregon Psilocybin Program Initiative. And then Measure 110 was called the Oregon Drug Addiction Treatment and Recovery Act. So what 109 does is um, it creates a program and a screening process for providing uh, psilocybin to people over 21 years old. Um, and the consumption has to be supervised by a licensed facilitator. And uh, it exists under the purview of the Oregon Health Authority. Um, and they're also going to have an advisory board of 14 to 16 people that will be appointed by the governor. It's going to take, um, they're allowing up to two years to develop uh, the program and uh, get all the regulations and everything laid out and get the program up and running. Um, measure 110 uh, is the de decriminalization section of this. So um, what this did is, which is also astounding, is uh, it has legalized all hard drugs. So anything that's listed as a schedule one, two, three, or 4 on the Federal Controlled Substances Act is no longer considered illegal in considered uh, a hard drug is a hundred dollar fine, um, which you know essentially is crap is cheaper than most speeding tickets to be honest, and <laughs> and uh, you can pay the fine and that's it, or you can pay the fine and if you want it you can have a health assessment um, at an addiction recovery center. So. Um, this says that uh, the measure will provide holistic, wide-reaching treatment to drug users, including housing and accessible consultations with social service providers. And this program is going to be funded with um, money from the cannabis tax revenue. So that's where the money is going to be coming from to fund this particular uh, program. Unfortunately, however, it's not going to... the it's not going to be covered under insurance um, as far as the use of uh, psilocybin. So insurers are not going to be required to cover the cost. Um, I have no idea how much it's going to cost. Um, I have no clue what that's going to run. So that'll be kind of interesting to see what the cost is. But uh, unfortunately, they're not going to make insurers have to cover that. I'm sure because it's still illegal on federal levels, you know, just like cannabis is. So, you know, we fall on that crack, unfortunately. Um. They put in something I thought was kind of odd and, I guess, slightly interesting. But, <laughs> but it says an individual applying for a license can be denied if they are found to be not of good repute and moral character. I'm sorry, this sounds like something from the Victorian age, but like I said, I didn't write it, so I don't know. <laughs> so I don't know how that's going to be established or, you know how that's going to factor into whether or not you can use it. I have no idea, but that was apparently written into their language. And I just found that incredibly weird and, and funny and sounds like we're coming out of a Dickens novel. Um, they can begin accepting applications for manufacturing service centers, facilitator and testing licenses by January 2nd of 2023. 
And if you want to become a licensed facilitator, you have to pass an examination that's offered by the Oregon Health Authority at least twice a year. Personally, I feel like that's a little bit of overkill. It's like if you pass it once, that should be fine. I could see possibly having to do something on an annual basis or um, doing some type of continuing education or something on an annual basis. But to have to do a test twice a year, that just seems like that's a little bit much. Um, And maybe they're doing that as a way just to try to limit the field uh, and try to keep, you know, the numbers small as to the number of quote unquote facilitators. But those are some of the, the key things that you need to know as far as the measure 109 goes. Um, 110, uh, it establishes um, there, sorry, it creates the establishment and funding of addiction recovery centers by October 1st of next year. So of 2021, they'll provide drug users with triage, health assessments, treatment, recovery services, um, and whatever else they decide to uh, put into that. Um, it's going to require the creation of a statewide temporary uh, telephone addiction recovery center by February 1st of 2021, and that will have to be staffed 24-7. And then once the treatment centers begin to open, they will also be required to be staffed 24-7. And then we talked about the $100 fine, um, or you can get a referral for uh, the health service um, services if you want it, uh, if you're you know wanting to get away from the drugs and, and try to get clean. You know, I've seen some negative comments online about this. You know, uh, one person commented and, and said, oh, you're going to be finding needles all over the place just like you do in, in San Francisco because, you know, there's going to be no consequences or whatever. And I, you know, I don't know. I mean, I don't know for sure how this is going to play out. I mean, personally, I think this is a step in the right direction. You know, punishing people and putting them in jail because they have an addiction to you know, cocaine or heroin or whatever is, it's not beneficial for anybody. It costs us money as the taxpayers to have to house and take care of these people. There's just as many drugs in the prison system. So they're not really getting away from that so that they can um, get clean. I mean, I guess they can get clean in, in jail, but it's, you know, it doesn't make sense to put people in jail to try to force them to get clean. And unfortunately, you know, with drugs, it's, it's like with alcohol or anything, any other addiction, you're not going to change until you want to change. You know, sometimes you can force the change and it will stick, but you know, nine times out of 10, it's not going to stick. So I personally, I think this is a good move uh, for Oregon. It'll be interesting to see if this begins to filter out across the country at some point and we start to see other states um, implement similar measures. Um, I just, you know, I, it never made sense to me that, you know, people go to jail for having an addiction. It's like, you don't go to jail. Well, you can go to jail for DUI if you're, you know, caught drinking and driving, but you don't go to jail just because you're going to a bar. So it doesn't make sense to me that people have to go to jail just because they have an addiction to a a drug and, and they're having problems breaking it. So I personally think this is a step in the right direction. Um, It'll be interesting to see how all this plays out. It's going to, you know, this particular program, it's going to be a while before we really start to see the results of it because they have up to two years to get it up and running. Uh, But it's exciting that that is um, even happening. And then I think, um, I want to say psilocybin was decriminalized in D.C. also, but I don't remember. I saw something about that, but I don't remember exactly what it said. Uh, But if you live in any of those states, um, and, you know, obviously if you live there, you are hearing this all over the place so you're pretty aware of what's going on uh but i just wanted to kind of put that out there just to let other people know you know this is what transpired on election day um all of these measures passed i believe now this will give us about 15 uh states with recreational uh medical or not recreational medical <laughs> with recreational cannabis and um 34 four 35 states uh with medical cannabis programs now so we're chipping away at it slowly but surely more and more states are coming online um and it's just really exciting to see this starting to happen uh especially in the south now with mississippi because you know the south is generally very conservative you know especially in this area so i'm real excited to see them taking this step forward and hopefully they can help show other southern states um how a medical program can work and can be beneficial Okay, so now that we've gotten through all that, 
<laughs> so let's go. I want to get to the other topic that I wanted to talk to you guys about. Um, and I had thought about this recently and then, you know, I made some things and put them on Facebook and stuff about it and on Instagram. And that's about, uh, bud tenders. Um, I was looking recently at the, um, scope and standards of practice for nurses on the American Cannabis Nurse Association website. And, you know, nursing has, um, stand a scope of practice across the board, uh, and really uh, pretty much every healthcare profession does, you know, doctors and nurses and pharmacists and pharmacy techs. And, you know, we all have a standard of practice. And basically what that comes down to is the standards of practice describes what is expected for your profession. You know, this is the, these are the parameters that you should be working within and you don't go outside of those parameters. You know, this is why, um, when nurses are asked by patients or, you know, family members, you know, well, what does this, what do these lab results mean? Or, you know, should I continue to take this med or, you know, something like that. That's why we always tell them, you need to talk to your doctor or your doctor will go over that with you because that is outside of our scope of practice. We are not physicians. We do not have that level of education and we don't have that licensure. And so therefore we cannot um, really tell you, or we're not supposed to, even if we really understand it, uh, that, you know, how this is interpreted, you know, like what do these lab results mean or what does this particular test mean as far as, you know, the results from that and what does that indicate for your plan of care and for your health and should you continue to take this medicine or not and, you know, that sort of thing. Now, you know, of course, we do provide um, education to patients. Um, you know, we do procedures and we perform, you know, wound care and we can do certain things under the guidance of a doctor. Um, we're, there are things that we are allowed to do, but we have our scope of practice and, you know, we are not supposed to stray outside of that because if you do go outside of your scope of practice, well, then there are, you know, legal issues that you can get into where you can potentially lose your license, lose your job, you know, all that good stuff. So, um, and, you know, and that applies to pretty much every aspect of healthcare. You know, pharmacists have their scope of practice, pharmacy techs, doctors, uh, you know, everybody has their scope of practice. So it made me start thinking about uh, bud tenders because um, bud tenders kind of are falling into this gray area at the moment where, you know, we, we say cannabis is medicine. Uh, the vast majority of us believe and understand that cannabis is medicine. There are a lot of misconceptions, though, flying around the idea of cannabis as medicine because, um, you know, we a lot of people think because it's a plant that it's harmless, that there's, you know, there's no side effects. It's not going to hurt you. You can't, you know, just because you can't die from it, that it's perfectly safe to take it however you want. And, um, you know, somebody that is working at a dispensary is able to tell you whatever you need to know about it and how to treat your medical condition. And so we're, so we're falling into this weird kind of gray area with this, with, with bud tenders and dispensaries that I, I personally think and, and wonder if at some point we're going to have to look at, um, differently and if things will, uh, begin to, to change. So that kind of made me start thinking, you know, well, should bud tenders have a scope of practice as to, you know, what they should or shouldn't be doing or, you know, what they're allowed to do and, and, um, those sorts of things because, you know, like here in Oklahoma, so, and, and I'm pretty sure this is the process in, in most States. Um, I'm sure everybody's state, the process is going to be slightly different, but overall this is pretty much how it goes. So here in Oklahoma to get your card, you have to, um, you go to a doctor who fills out a piece of paper for your recommendation. They put on there, your information, their information, um, what your problem is, you know, if it's chronic pain, depression, MS, cancer, whatever, you know, autism, whatever, whatever your problem is, you know, they put your, your diagnosis on there, they sign it, you take it, you start your application or someone helps you to do your application online with OMA, which is the 
OMMA, the Oklahoma Medical Marijuana Authority. Um, you do your application online with them. You upload a copy of that to them. Uh, you know, of course, you have to pay the doctor for your recommendation. You pay your fee to the state. You upload all the required documents and stuff to the state. They have 14 days or 14 business days to get it processed. If they approve it, then they send you your card. Once you have your card, this is where the problem comes in, is once you have your card, um, most of the time, the doctor you got your recommendation from is not a doctor that you have ever seen before or ever will see again. Uh, nine times out of ten, you're just going to that doctor for your recommendation because a lot of the um, primary care doctors are not doing recommendations at all, much less for their own patients. So there's no follow-up with the doctor as to what you're taking or how you're using it or looking over your med list or anything like that. And even if you have a doctor, when you go get your recommendation, who's willing to sit down and go over some basic information with you, they're probably not really going to get real detailed into like your personal medication list, your personal medical history, you know, that sort of thing. From what I have seen, my experience has been most of the doctors, it's you go in, you get your paper, you're out. It's like, you know, 10 minutes, you're done, you know? <laughs> so it doesn't take very long. So, um, so that's kind of, you know, the, so that's where the, the patients are falling as far as, you know, so they get their card and then they have to go to, you know, of course they're going to go to a dispensary. And if you have somebody who is new to cannabis and has never really used it before, you know, they walk into a dispensary, they have no idea what's available as product. They have no idea what they should be taking. They have no idea what terpenes and stuff um, may be beneficial for them. They have no idea on dosing. They are totally dependent on whoever is behind that counter to provide them with education, information on product, guidance on dosing, and, and everything. And because, and, you know, and here in Oklahoma, that's basically, you know, how our, our law is written is the doctors really are hands off once you get your card for the most part, unless it happens to be your personal PCP, you know, your personal primary doctor, um, you're not really going to get, you know, much guidance from, from your physician. Um, and of course, a lot of them, they don't really know they have they have no real knowledge of cannabis and how it works or very little um you know it's getting better but there's still the vast majority of them they they don't have a clue anyway so even if you go to your primary doctor and you say hey i got my card now what you know they're going to be like well i don't know <laughs> good luck see ya go have fun at the dispensary you know so <laughs> so it's um you know so that's that's where it it's falling for for most patients and it's hit or miss when you go into a dispensary if you're lucky, you go into a dispensary and you get somebody that's pretty knowledgeable and is willing to sit down and take the time with you, great. But if you go into a dispensary where they're not and they're just saying, oh, hey, try this. It's great. It's got, it's, you know, 25% THC or whatever. It's, it, you know, it, they're pushing a product. They don't know, you know, even if they ask you, okay, what are you trying to treat? Which should be one of the first questions that gets asked. Um you know, if, if they ask you, okay, well, what's, what's your problem? What are you trying to take care of? And you say, oh, you know, I've got really bad arthritis and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm having a hard time getting up out of bed every morning and, you know, I just can't move like I used to and blah, blah, blah. Then they're going to say, oh, well, you know, I've had a lot of patients that come in here that use this, that, um, you know, they say is really great for their pain, you know, or, or this product is supposed to be really good or whatever. I'm not saying that there's not a place for bud tenders. There is definitely a place for bud tenders. And we all rely on them when we go into a dispensary because, like, I don't know all the product. You know, I rely on the people who work there to tell me which product they're carrying as to what's in that product. How, you know, how have they been seeing other people use that product? How to use it? Um you know, what kind of effects have they been seeing, you know, that sort of thing. But I don't expect a bud tender to sit down and uh, go through a medication list with me or another patient and really sit there and go, okay, let's look at your meds. Okay, you're, you're on these, you know, these could be a potential issue, you know, with how you're wanting to consume this and let's talk to your doctor and, you know, or be sure you let your doctor know, blah, blah, blah. That's not going to happen at the vast majority of dispensaries. There are a few 
But for the vast majority of them, that is not going to happen. And it's just because they don't have the knowledge base to be able to do that, or a lot of times the time to be able to do that. I've been in some dispensaries where they're willing to talk to you and um, answer your questions and stuff. And then I've been in other dispensaries where it's like you're in, you get your product, you're out. And, you know, they don't have time to talk to you and answer a bunch of questions and really take time to dig into whatever it is that you've got going on. Um, you know, the other thing we always fall back on, and, and it drives me crazy hearing this in the news now, is <laughs> like anytime you, you see like a story on, on TV or something where, you know, they're talking about um, a medical study or some study that was done regarding medical cannabis or the uses of CBD or something like that. And, and there's always the caveat in there of, but you should talk to your doctor. You should follow up with your healthcare provider. Da 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 da. And of course, for nurses, that's our old standby is, you know, ask your doctor, talk to your doctor. Your doctor is the person you need to be talking to about this. Unfortunately, most of the doctors either don't want to talk about it, won't talk about it, or they don't have the knowledge base to talk about it. So telling patients to go talk to their doctor is doing zero good. It may be covering our butts legally in some way, shape, form, or fashion, but it's not helping the patients at all. Because then, you know, I, I can't tell you how many patients tell me, well, I tried to talk to my doctor about it, and he said he didn't know, or he just wouldn't discuss it, or, you know, or whatever. It, it's, it's ridiculous to keep telling people, as far as for medical cannabis, to go talk to their doctor. I mean, I'm not going to tell them not to talk to their doctor. I'm going to tell them you need to talk to your doctor because your doctor needs to know what you're doing. But to expect them to actually get real information and answers from their doctor is a fantasy at this point because it's it's not happening and it's not going to happen for a while. So we can't continue to fall back on that old adage of, well, you just you need to talk to your doctor first before you do anything. Because the, <laughs> nine times out of ten, the doctor doesn't know, is is sad to say, but it's true. So that's you know that's kind of where we're at where we're at with that. And then you know they're then they are forced to have to go back and rely on the bud tender. And if they go to one dispensary and um, they buy some product and it really doesn't help them and it really doesn't work and they don't feel like they're getting what they need, then they may go to a different dispensary. And if they have the same issue, they may try again. But, you know, at some point, they're going to be like, I'm spending all this money, and I'm not getting anywhere. And then they just quit. They give up. And they don't, because they don't know what else to do. And they don't know who to ask. Because they thought when they went to the dispensary, the dispensaries were going to be staffed with people who knew how to help them fix their problem. And that's not what they got. Doesn't happen every single time. But it happens, and it happens more often than not, unfortunately. Um, you know, so it's, I'm, I see it a lot. I've, I've talked to patients that have told me, you know, oh, well, I tried CBD, or I tried this, or I tried that, and it didn't do anything. And, of course, my first question to them is, okay, where'd you get your product? Because if they're, if they're just talking about a CBD product, it may not have been a good product. How much were you taking and how often? Because that makes a big difference. You know, if it's just CBD, they can go buy that anywhere and try to figure it out themselves. But if they're using THC product, you know, then they're interacting with the bud tenders and they still may or may not be getting the information that they need to help them um, figure out what the heck they're doing. You know, the, the bud tenders are valuable in that they know the product that's out there. They know the product that's available in their area or in their state. Um they know how to advise patients on, um, like, let's say somebody's interested in vaping, you know, which ones are good, you know, which, uh, vape pens are good. What, you know, what's the difference between using a vape pen that uses oil and using one that's a dry vape, you know, why, why would one be better over the other? You know, they're, they're really good at that stuff. That's the stuff that they, that they know, and that's where they shine and that's where we rely on them. Um, but my concern is when we start kind of venturing over onto the medical side of things is are, are they crossing a line? And, you know, the medical community is, is turning their head and ignoring it right now because 
honestly, I don't think the medical community knows exactly how to deal with it just yet. <laughs> but, <laughs> but you know, the, the doctor, a lot of the doctors, they, they don't know what to tell people because they don't have the information that they need. Um, and it's just, there's just so much. And it can get really complicated, you know, fast as far as the knowledge that's out there. And, you know, of course, doctors are busy and they don't have time to really sit down and, and learn about this. I'm sure, like, they would probably want to. Because um, if they're a doctor, they spend a lot of time studying when they were in school. So it's not like they don't know how to research. And it's not like they don't know how to study. Um, but, you know, number one, are they inclined? And number two, do they have the time? You know, that's that's the two big things. And, you know, I... I'm wondering, like, are are we allowing bud tenders or are bud tenders crossing that line into um, medical advice where, you know, they're advising uh, patients on treating various conditions that they don't have the expertise or knowledge base to really accurately advise people on? I, you know... <laughs> It's like, that's, to me, that's like, that's that gray area, you know, that's that fine line. And I don't know exactly if it's something we should address. I feel like it is, but you know, how do we address it and how do we go about it? And, you know, and then you get pushback from, um, the dispensary community as far as, you know, they're like, well, because here's the thing I've gotten before. It's like I've gone to some dispensaries, and there's one in Oklahoma City in particular that's really bad about this. But I've gone to, you know, a few dispensaries where, you know, the, the attitude I have gotten is, oh, our, our staff is trained. Our, our people are trained. They, they know what they're doing. Really? So your staff has a nursing degree or a pharmacy degree or a PA degree? something <laughs> that they understand chronic medical conditions and medications and potential interactions. And you're giving them the time to really sit down with these patients and dig in. And then you're following up with them. And Oh, by the way, are you letting their doctor's office know if there's a problem? That that's the attitude I get from not all dispensaries. I mean, most dispensaries, if I go into a dispensary and I tell them I'm a cannabis nurse, they're like, oh, that's great. That's awesome. We need more healthcare providers involved and blah, blah, blah. And usually the response I get is very positive. There's a few dispensaries, however, where I get that pushback and they don't think they need me. They don't want me. They think that their staff is perfectly capable of dealing with this. And my question to them is, even though cannabis is not going to kill anybody what is it going to take us getting to the point where there's a catastrophic event where someone is on medication that the cannabis interacts with and causes a very negative outcome such as let's take the one of the most common ones is and and granted it's not like there's a whole bunch of potential interaction with medication but there are potential interactions with certain medications and one of the big ones is Coumadin so let's say you know you have somebody who's on Coumadin and they're not advised by a, the bud tender at the dispensary that they go to that how they're consuming it could increase um, the effectiveness of the Coumadin and then they get too thin and they have a bleed and they end up in the hospital with a stroke or something else. Can you tie that back directly to the cannabis use? Maybe, maybe not. But is it going to take somebody getting a, a, a seriously negative outcome where, you know, they end up almost dying or they do die, not directly from the cannabis, but because of the secondary problem that popped up? Because of the lack of education and, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Experience. Because of the lack of education and experience in the healthcare world to properly advise these people. I guess that's that's kind of what I'm thinking is like, you know, 
are we going to have to get to that point? And, you know, and I don't know that we could actually get to that point. I think it's a good possibility. Um, but, you know, it's like, where, where do we have to draw the line? I know when we passed our law here, um, they tried to make it, make it a requirement that every pharmacy or every pharmacy, every dispensary had to have a pharmacist in the dispensary. That's unreasonable. That's not going to happen. I think there's a happy medium that we could get to that would ensure, uh, a better, better resources and outcome for the patients and make it easier and safer for the dispensaries. Cause right now I feel like a lot of the dispensaries are, um, kind of walking this line and they may or may not realize, um, what kind of a dangerous edge that is that, that they're on. Uh, now granted, this is just all my personal opinion, but, um, you know, this just as a nurse, you know, that's kind of how, how I see it. I'm, I wonder if there should be, and these are just some things I was just kind of bouncing around last night, you know, could there be like some type of, um, like national organization for, uh, for bud tenders, um, where, you know, they could like be a member and, um, get, uh, ongoing education and, um, you know, have, uh, access to, um, you know, other resources and things, you know, kind of like we do in the nursing community. Um, should there be some type of certification that to be able to work as a bud tender that you would have to, to get, which of course, then the other side of that is when you start requiring a certain level of education to be able to do these jobs, well, then you have to pay more. And, you know, and, and of course, one of the arguments I get, which is a valid argument, is that the dispensaries already, uh, they're, you know, they have such huge overhead uh, because um, cannabis businesses do not get the tax write-offs that um, other businesses do. Because on a federal level, it's still illegal. So according to the law, they can't write things off, uh, other, you know, business expenses like other businesses can. So they have, so that's one reason, of course, why product and stuff stay so expensive is they can't bring the prices down and still be able to make a profit because they're having to take the full brunt of all of their business expenses and they can't write any of that stuff off on their taxes. So if you add on just one more thing, you know, like here I see the average uh, rate of pay listed for most bud tenders between, usually between about 10 to $13 an hour, you know, which isn't terrible money. But if you start requiring bud tenders to have to have um, a certain level of education to get a certificate or something that then would allow them to be able to work in a dispensary. If you make that a requirement, well, now you've put an, an added burden onto the dispensary owners of them having to pay more because you, you're going to have to compensate these people for having that education. You know, as a nurse, when you graduate from nursing school, you're not going to go take a job working as a nurse for $10 an hour. It's not going to happen. You expect a certain rate of pay based on your education alone, much less your experience. So, you know, that's one problem. If it will ever get taken off the schedule on a federal level so that dispensaries can then take advantage of the tax breaks, um, that would help tremendously. That would help to open the door, I think, to solving hopefully some of these problems because then once they're able to take tax breaks, you know, if there was a, an education requirement for bud tenders, then they could um, actually pay them more. You know, they wouldn't be hit so hard in the pocketbook. Um, you know, should it be a requirement that a dispensary has to have access to a nurse or a pharmacist? This might, as of right now, this might be the best option um, as far as, you know, not requiring bud tenders to have to have more education you know, let's go this route instead. So let's say there was something put in place that said, okay, it's unreasonable to expect every single dispensary to have to have a pharmacist in that dispensary all the time. That's just ridiculous. That's not going to happen because in our state alone, you can't walk five feet without running into a dispensary. So <laughs> we have like, I think I saw the numbers yesterday. We have like 1900 business licenses out in the state for 
dispensaries or something like that. So, it you know, so that's a lot of uh, that's a lot of businesses. You're not going to be able to get people to staff all those places. It's not going to happen. However, one pharmacist or one nurse or whoever um, could work on like a contractual basis with a number of different pharmacies and then be available for them if and when they needed it. So, you know, let's say, you know, you were contracted with like five different dispensaries, then you could, um, you could go in and help provide ongoing education for their staff. Uh, you could, you know, you would be available if they have a question about something or they have a patient that um, needs some more assistance. You know, granted, the dispensaries would be having to foot the bill for your service, but it would you know, provide better coverage, I think, you know, for everybody, for the dispensaries and, and their staff and as well as, as the patients. Um, and that wouldn't be quite as maybe as bad a hit in the pocketbook as to having to pay their own staff more for having to have different certifications and stuff. Um, the states could potentially, even though the dispensaries don't get a, a break on the federal level, why couldn't the states offer them some type of uh, some type of break, some type of tax break or incentive or something um, for for doing this. So, you know, let's say, you know, like here in our state, let's say they passed something that said, um, okay, uh, you know, we're, we're going to put something in place that says it's not necessarily going to be a requirement that you have to do this, but if you are contracted with a nurse or a pharmacist, um, to provide, you know, education and services to your patients, then you get this tax break or on a state level, or you get this rebate or something, you know, some, some type of monetary uh, compensation for the dispensaries that they're not getting on a federal level. You know, it might not be a whole lot, but you know, right now they don't really get a whole lot of anything. So it, anything would probably help. Um, you know, I kind of talked about maybe having like a national organization, um, you know, possibly requiring like annual CEUs or something, um, you know, even just a basic certification or something would probably be good. So it's, you know, it's what, this is one of those questions of, there's not really a good answer. It's not really something I hear people talking about because I don't think it's probably a very popular topic to be discussed, especially in dispensary circles and bud tender circles. Um, you know, and like I've said before, you know, I'm not dissing anybody. You know, I rely on these guys when I go into a dispensary just as much as anybody else does because they know the product that they're selling. They know what they have. They know the reputation these products have. Um, you know, so I, I rely on them, you know, in that aspect. But... I think dispensaries do need to own up to the fact that cannabis is a medicine. There are potential harms. There can be potential problems. It is not totally harmless. Um, there are potential side effects that people don't want to deal with, which of course just goes along with uh, the effects that the plant has. Um, but if you, if you have bud tenders that are telling people when they come in oh no it's perfectly safe it's not going to interact with anything there's no problem with it just use whatever you want you're doing your patients a huge disservice and potentially putting them at risk um so there so there's a certain level of of uh accountability that i feel like dispensaries haven't quite owned yet um I, I think that might be getting a little better. Uh, it seems like it may be getting a little better. Um, but, the, you know, that's one of those things that um, the dispensaries are going to have to take ownership of that and say, okay, you know, we understand this could potentially be an issue, so what are we going to do about it, you know, sort of thing. Um, it's not going to be an easy question to have to figure out by any stretch of the imagination, and it's not going to get figured out anytime soon, that's for sure. Uh, but, you know, this may be one of those things that, that as the, the industry grows and as it changes, um, it may be something that comes more and more to the forefront and becomes something that uh, we have to eventually deal with. So, so, um, I just wanted to put that out there for thought for you guys, uh, that that was something, you know, I'd been kind of thinking about recently. And like I said, it's not something I really see being discussed very much. Um, 
So hopefully that will give you some food for thought and uh, give you um, some good information from earlier about the different states that have just gone legal. Um, so with all that said, I'm going to uh, get out of y'all's ear. <laughs> So if you want to come find me on Facebook, you can um, find me on Facebook. My um, Actually, I have two groups. The business group is Canyucopia Consulting. And then uh, the, the more interactive group is uh, Canyucopia OK. So you can find me there on Facebook. You can always reach me through Messenger. Um, you can uh, find me on Instagram. I'm on Instagram a good bit. My handle there is at Canyucopia. Uh, I'm also on Twitter, but I'm not on there a whole lot, but my handle there is at Canyucopia1. And then, of course, you can come find me on the website. It is canyucopia.com. I also have a new video up there for anyone who uh, may be interested. I got that up um, recently. If you go to the to the website and you click on uh, resources and then click on clinicians, it will take you to a page where I have put up a video. This It's about 20 minutes, a little over 20 minutes long, um, that goes into um, just kind of frequently asked questions for nurses about what cannabis nursing is, um, what your like career options are, um, if you're interested in cannabis nursing, uh, some resources to help you get started as far as um, learning about medical cannabis and expanding your knowledge base. Uh, you know, I've got all that stuff in that video. So if you're interested, I encourage you to go over there and check that out. Uh, please share it with your friends, anybody that you think might be interested, let them know about it so they can go over there and check that out. Um, I just tried to put in there a lot of the stuff that people ask me when they find out that uh, I'm a cannabis nurse and they're they're curious or interested. Um, and, you know, these are like kind of the most common things that everybody's wondering about. So hopefully you'll you'll find that helpful and uh, you can share that and let other people know about it. It's totally free. There's you can just there's no cost for it. You can just go over there and watch it. So um, so anyway, so I hope you guys enjoyed today's show. Uh, I will hopefully talk to you soon and um, everybody stay safe. Thanks.